What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast. As always, thank you all for joining me. In this episode, I will review the Round Rock Classic as LSU took on Kansas State, Iowa, and Sam Houston. I will go over the three big things and what I learned from this weekend. How did I do on my get right, stay right picks in the preview episode? And finally, the SEC rundown. As always, y'all can find the 60 Feet, 6 Inch LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this from the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU pod YouTube channel, please make, please make sure to subscribe to that channel so you don't miss any of the content throughout the season. On Twitter, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPod. So let's get into it. The Round Rock Classic, LSU's the champions. They get the WWE-style belt. After having kind of an up-and-down weekend, they ended on a high note. So I missed on my weekend prediction. I thought LSU would go 3-0, but they dropped the game to Iowa on Saturday and still managed to win two out of three. LSU continues to remain the number one ranked team in the land at the time of this recording. And the SEC continues to dominate the top ten. If I look strictly at the D1 baseball rankings, Six SEC teams are showing up in the latest poll. And some good news for LSU fans who thought the weekend was kind of a bummer. LSU is hitting 328 overall as a team, which is phenomenal. They only have three regular players that are hitting below 300. And that is Tommy White, Napolt, and Paxton Kling. To me, which is absolutely crazy. Dylan Cruz on the weekend. And Sunday was his birthday, so the birthday boy. For the Round Rock Classic, he was 9 for 13, which is good for 692 with seven RBIs on the weekend. And to back him up, Joe Bear went 5 for 11 with two home runs on Sunday. So phenomenal weekend by those two, but Dylan Cruz just showed why he is the number one player in the country again in front of a streaming audience. So let's get into each game. Friday, LSU took on Kansas State. LSU wins this game 7 to 3. The lineup. And for those not able to view this on YouTube, I'm going to put up a little graphic here. But for the audio audience, the lineup is uh, Dugas leading off at second base, Cruz in center field, White at DH hitting third, Jones playing first base, which some people may have had an issue with because that put Trey Morgan hitting fifth in left field. Thompson at short, Neal at catcher, Kling at right field, and the Polt at third. And I'm going to go through the lineup early on in the season because, as we know, Jay Johnson likes to experiment, and there's a lot of guys kind of shuffling in. But once we get into conference play, I probably won't go through the lineup every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, unless it changes dramatically for some reason. LSU's pitcher on the mound for the Friday game versus Kansas State was Paul Skeens, and his line on the day was six innings pitch, two hits, one run, one earned, two walks, and once again, double-digit strikeout performance for Skeens with 12. His pitch count was 101, though, and that's something we'll get into. Backing up Skeens was Ty Floyd. Three innings pitch, two hits, two runs, only one earned, one walk, five Ks. I thought Floyd did an excellent job maintaining LSU's lead, and it never really looked like Kansas State was going to threaten. So once again, kudos to Ty Floyd for coming out the bullpen in a three-inning stint and shutting the other team down. So we start off the first inning. Skeens struggles. He throws 37 pitches, I think, and he really didn't have good command with his fastball. And LSU, I thought, was very lucky to get out of that inning, only giving up one run. Kansas State goes leadoff single. Then you got a walk, a sack fly, um, a single, and then a pass ball 
Bottom line, they scored one. Luckily, the runner didn't score in the pass ball. I guess he didn't see it get past Neal when it rolled to the backstop. But Skeens gets out of that inning with back-to-back Ks. And what you saw from him was a lot of 2-2, a lot of 3-2 counts, a ton of foul balls. And really, his slider was non-existent in the first inning. So he had the fastball, four and two seam. And he had the changeup. The changeup was working pretty well. But really, nothing that changed planes like his slider does. And he got through that inning. And then after that, he just went on to dominate. In the second, he came back with a very quick, efficient inning, which he needed to get back on track. So, and I mentioned this on Twitter, one of the things I look at in terms of pitch count, you really want to average about 15 pitches per inning. You know, you're going to have some rough innings throughout the year where that pitch count's going to climb just like Skeens did. And I thought he was really going to be in trouble. I didn't know if he was going to get through four, but he turned it around with a quick one in the second. So that's what I'm looking at. About 15 pitches per inning is what you really want to shoot for. And he just started to roll after that second inning. He dominated in that second inning, a very quick one, two, three inning, which got his pitch count back on track. And something else for y'all to look out for, one of the things Coach Bertman used to talk to us about and what I really watched for in the first inning, and this is one of the reasons why sometimes you'll see pitchers struggle in the first inning. One, you're facing the other team's best hitters, right? You're facing one, two, three from the other team. Another thing is a lot of times the umpires start out with a small zone, and I felt squeeze got excuse me, Skeens got squeezed a little bit, although I will say the camera angle was horrible. You couldn't really tell where the pitches were located. It was down. The umpire, if there's a runner on second base, were in the, were in the shot half the time trying to figure out where the pitch was going when it hit Neil's mitt. So I thought the camera angle was bad. Best hitters, small zone. Another thing, the bullpen mount is going to be different from the game mount, so that takes a little while to get used to. Also, I learned, as do many other pitchers, Whatever you have in that bullpen does not necessarily translate to the game now, meaning if your fastball and curveball are fantastic in the pen, I just took that with a grain of salt, meaning once I got to the game mound, I didn't know if those two pitches were going to be on. So Skeens may have had a fabulous slider in the bullpen, but then once he get on the ga- gets on the game mound and the game starts, right, a lot of adrenaline is rushing, and maybe his slider was just off. It wasn't coming out of his hand right, and once again, maybe that mound played into effect as well. So as you're watching the game, and you're trying to figure out why are pitchers struggling in the first, or subsequently, why are opposing pitchers struggling in their first inning? That's some things to consider right there. In the second inning, LSU does get a run back. Morgan, Thompson, Neal, three consecutive singles. One of the things I didn't like, Kling bunted. It was a bad bunt. They got the uh, runner out of third. And I saw on Twitter, uh, Mikey Matuk pointed this out as well. Kind of killed the momentum right there, and that was it. I thought you kind of let Kansas State get off the hook. So I disagree with that decision. And then really nothing happens from that inning all the way until the sixth. Skeens is dealing, but on the flip side, Kansas State's left-handed pitcher, Owen Barama, is dealing as well. And he wasn't very overpowering, right? He's like 86 to 89. He changed speeds, and he did really well for five innings, you know, especially in the middle of the game from the third to the fifth. So get this, in the third, LSU K'd twice. In the fourth, they K'd three times. In the fifth, K caught stealing and K, and they finally get the starter out of the game in the fifth. So that was disappointing when you look at this Kansas State game. The LSU offense went, you know, completely quiet for the middle of the game. And while Skeens is in control, you would like to see them put some runs up on the board. But in the sixth, Cruz and White single. Jones strikes out, then you have a balk, a wild pitch, Cruz scores, then Tommy White scores, and the RBI ground out by Morgan. So you get a little bit of breathing room, 
The score is three to one. In the seventh, Floyd comes in. He strikes out two guys and he gives up not a fluke home run. The kid crushed it, you know, but Floyd had been blowing fastballs by guys. And this kid gets the bat head out in front of one, hits it for a solo shot. And to me, I'm not upset with a solo shot. Floyd shuts it down. So going into the eighth, LSU's up three to two. And the Tiger Bats come alive as they play, play four runs. And it really started for me. I know it was several days ago, but Braden Joe Bear comes on to pinch hit for Kling. And he works a 3-2 walk, a really good at bat right there. And that gets the inning going. You could feel like something was getting ready to happen. Napolt finally gets off the snide and gets his first hit in an LSU uniform. Dugas, RBI single. Cruz, shocker, RBI single. Jones hits a two-run double, and LSU's off and running. Floyd comes out with a shutdown inning in the eighth, which is very important. So when I say shutdown inning, I mean one LSU scores. Your goal as a pitcher, one, is to get LSU back in the dugout as quick as possible. If you can't get it done quickly, just make sure you throw up a zero on that scoreboard. And the best way to do that is get the leadoff guy out. So that's something else you'll hear me say a lot this year on the podcast, shutdown innings. Um, Floyd worked around a leadoff walk, which is not ideal, but he got out of it. LSU nothing in the ninth. Um, LSU had their first error of the season in the ninth, and really that's it. That's the game right there. So look, as a fan, you're going to take the W, but you did feel like they had some concerning, concerning things going on in that game. First and foremost was Trey Morgan played left. He runs into the wall. So as of Friday night, you're wondering, what does Morgan's wrist look like? Is he out for a long time? Will he be able to play Saturday and Sunday? Also, the hitters, one walk in 12 Ks against a very average left-handed pitcher, in my opinion, compared to some of the left-handed arms you're going to see in LSU. I mean, excuse me, in SEC conference play. But I guess silver lining, nobody struck out looking. If you want to take something from that stat, they banged out 10 hits. Four out of the eight leadoff hitters got on, which is very encouraging. Runners in scoring position, LSU was four for 12. Nice job there. And a stat that we're really looking at this year, runners on third, less than two outs. LSU was two for two in that situation. So we're definitely going to take that as a positive. But uh, I was a little frustrated as a fan that it took a little longer to solve the Kansas State pitcher than I thought maybe it should have. And those, like I said, those middle innings and all those strikeouts was concerning. Um, the bottom of the order did do pretty well with Neil Kling and Napolt getting two hits as well. Moving on to Saturday. And in my opinion, the marquee matchup of the weekend, as you saw, I was Brody Breck, who was a top 2024 draft pick. He went up against LSU's vaunted lineup. And look, Breck's going to throw 100, 101, and you saw that early on. And this was just a crazy game from the outset, and in the end, Iowa ended up running away as the Tigers lose this one 12-4. to So was Morgan going to play? What did his wrist look like? Well, when the lineup came out, you saw exactly uh, one of the things Tiger fans feared. Dugas leading off at second base. I think he's just going to slide in there until he proves he can't handle the position or he goes really, really cold, but he's been great from the leadoff spot. Joe Bear moves into right field, Cruz center field, Jones at first base, so Morgan was hurt. Jones slots into first base over there. Pearson made an appearance in left field, Tommy Tanks at DH, Neil catching, Thompson at short, and then the Polt at third. I felt very good going into this game because on Friday, Sam Houston dominated Iowa because the Hawkeyes only got three hits. And I wasn't super impressed with the lineup when I did the preview. Keaton Anthony's a stud. He was the Big Ten freshman of the year last year. Um, the transfer from Wofford, 
he's a big guy who could swing it and he hurt LSU, but I wasn't super worried after what Sam Houston had just done. But then all of a sudden they woke up on Saturday and said, Hey, let's fellas, let's grab a bat and let's hit today and let's hit all game. Also, you know, Brody Breck was going to be a challenge as well. You know, how is LSU going to be able to adjust to that velocity and could they get him out of the game soon and get into that Iowa pin? On the mound for LSU was Raleigh Cooper. I felt confident about that. I didn't know if he would throw Saturday or Sunday. But heading into the game after his dominant performance the previous weekend versus Western Michigan, I thought Cooper mixing speeds was going to be able to handle this Iowa lineup. And look, it just wasn't a good day for Coop. Coop's line was three innings pitched, seven hits, five runs, five earned, one walk, and five Ks. He was followed by Dutton, one innings pitched, three hits, two runs, two earned, no walks, two Ks for Dutton. I thought Helmers came in after Dutton and did a really good job, and I think he just got a little tired towards the end of his outing. Three and two-thirds for Helmers, five hits, four runs, four earned, no walks, three Ks, and then the freshman Buckman finished it up with one inning pitched. So in the first look, Iowa gets it going early off of Cooper, and this is the crazy thing about this game, and I'll just bring this up now, but I'll reinforce it later. You want to talk about a gold-plated money stat to impress your friends with or your baseball fans and say, hey, did you know this about Saturday's LSU-Iowa game? Seven of the 12 Iowa runs came with two outs and nobody on base, which is absolutely nuts, meaning they didn't roll over on a ground ball, they didn't hit a weak pop-up, you know, didn't get a strikeout with a drop ball, and Neil throws them out at first. Just crazy, and that's what happened in the first inning right here. Cooper, quick two outs. Then leaves a fastball up, gets hit out to right field. No big deal, right? Solo shot. But then it just kind of snowballs after that. A four-pitch walk, not a good sign. A bunt play where Cooper throws him out at first. They go to review it. It gets overturned. And then a single scores a run. They steal. They got first and third. They steal second on the throw down to second. The runner from third scores. So just kind of a... It just becomes a little bit of a hot mess out there in the first inning, and they plate three runs. But then LSU comes right back, right? They have a chance to get on the board early with a walk, an infield single, a 3-2 walk by Cruz. So you got bases loaded, nobody out against Breck. You know you're going to have trouble scoring runs off of him. They make a mound visit, and lo and behold, Breck finds it, and he goes KKK. And that hurt right there. You realize potentially if Cooper turns it around and Breck stays hitting on all cylinders, that could have been the game right there. I know it's early to say but in tight games, you miss an opportunity to at least get one run. I was worried about LSU a little bit after that. In the third, Iowa gets it going again with a single, a balk, which I did think was a balk, watching the replay. He didn't stop. And then a double to make it 4 nothing. And um, Breck is just effectively wild at this point, right? He'll walk two, he'll strike out two. You know, he gets himself into trouble, then all of a sudden he figures it out and gives himself out of trouble. So... One of the things I noted in the preview episode is that while he did have a lot of strikeouts last year, he had, I think, 25 innings pitched and 26 walks. So he was prone to control issues, and you saw that once again on Saturday. LSU, unfortunately, was unable to take advantage of that. So in the fourth, a leadoff single, then Dutton comes in, and he does a pretty good job, right? Bases loaded, one out, and there's a fly ball to right. So they're going to score it if Joe Bear catches it, but he completely misplays the fly ball and right. That young man will be the first one to admit that to you. It goes to the wall. They score two, then a sacrifice fly, and they score another run. So instead of it being one run, they score three, and now LSU's really 
looking at a seven to nothing deficit. So really got a big hill to climb. In the bottom of the fourth, bases loaded one out versus Breck. Then they come in to bring in Simpson, the lefty. With two outs and two strikes, Cruz drives in two runs with a single. And I'll tell you this right now, Cruz's two-strike approach this year is phenomenal. We know the guy's an amazing hitter, and he looks super locked into me. But watching him get down two strikes, he doesn't panic. He's going to be able to find the barrel. And even if he mishits some, you know, he's still going to hit him hard. But this job right here against Simpson, the lefty, who went on to have a very good outing versus LSU, he does a great job, two strikes, gets a single, drives in two runs, and uh, kind of keeps LSU in the ballgame right there. Helmers comes in after Dutton. He does a great job holding the Hawkeyes down five through seven, innings five through seven. And then Simpson finds his stuff from the left side for Iowa and really starts carving up LSU's hitters. In the eighth, it kind of unravels for Helmers. I thought his breaking ball got a little flat. They started attacking his first pitch fastball. You know, he gives up some singles. LSU didn't really have anything warming up in the bullpen because everything seemed to happen very quickly. Once again, with two outs. So you figure he's got two outs in the eighth. He's going to finish this inning and Jay Johnson, and we're probably going to run him out again for the ninth. But he got two outs again, just like at the first inning. Iowa scores three runs in the first with two outs. In the eighth, Iowa scores more runs with two outs with nobody on as they go 0-2 single, back-to-back first pitch single. So when I say it happened fast, in a matter of five pitches, they have uh, scored a run two men on base, and all of a sudden a three-run home run does LSU in. The Tigers fight back with Cruz once again, a bases-loaded single. Jones adds a sacrifice fly, but that's really it for the Tigers as they end up losing that game to the Hawkeyes 12-4. to And after this weekend, Iowa beat um, Kansas State on Sunday. A lot of the broadcasters, and you can see it, they got some arms, and they got some guys that can swing in the middle of the lineup. I know the Big Ten isn't the fiercest competition, but you got Maryland and Rutgers picked to finish ahead of Iowa. Some of these people – the pundits and the commentators feel like Iowa is a regional team this year. So that's yet to be seen. That'll play out. But it'll be interesting when you look back at the end of the season if LSU lost to a really good Iowa team. So kind of my takeaway from the Saturday game, look, seven runs with two outs, that's crazy. It's a great gold-plated money stat for y'all. I'll be shocked if that really happens again throughout the year. It's just the fact that nobody got out during those little mini runs Iowa put together. It's crazy to me. Nine walks and 15 Ks for the Tiger hitters. Breck gave you a chance to stay in the game or break something open, just couldn't come through. So, and then the first inning, that just that's really hurt. I just thought they could at least just get one run. So it's now three to one. Give Cooper a little jolt of confidence, headed on to the mound, but they just couldn't get it done. In the end, against Iowa, 14 Tigers are left on base, only four hits, and that's really not going to do it for you. Uh, the bottom of the order, which is something I talked about in the preview episode, then seven through nine, no hits. And really nobody got any hits, right, if you're going to get four hits total. The top three hitters in the lineup accounted for all four hits. It was just a bad day. I don't need to go through all the stats, I guess. Runners in scoring position, two out of 15. So that's kind of gross. One thing that is concerning, LSU turned around against Sam Houston, though. Something to watch out for, for and I saw a couple people point this out on Twitter. Against left-handed pitchers on Friday from Kansas State, and then Simpson came in relief of Breck for Iowa, and he basically finished out the game. I think he threw four or five innings. He was left-handed as well. Through two games versus left-handed pitchers, LSU's hitting 189. So something to be aware of 
Jay Johnson does a good job stacking right-handed and left-handed hitters throughout that lineup, but maybe a concern moving forward. All right, the game everybody wants to talk to, right? If you felt like LSU was a B-minus on Friday night, not completely pleased, but you'll take the win because they figured out a way to win it. If you thought they were an F or a D on Saturday versus Iowa, how can we lose to this team that's not great in football, they're good in basketball, I don't get it, we're LSU. But look, it's baseball, relax. Then Sunday was an A+, right? They absolutely pounded Sam Houston. And I wasn't worried about them and their mentality coming into this game. Look, they have a lot of veteran guys. They're going to be able to turn things around. Once they left the ballpark in Round Rock on Saturday, they got back to the hotel. They flushed it, and they moved on, right? You learn from it, bad game. We made a bunch of mistakes. We'll move on and be ready to play. But Sam Houston coming in could swing it. And they have some very good, experienced hitters. So I was wondering, who was going to start for LSU? Could Trey Morgan play first, or was he going to play left? What was the lineup going to look like? And then how would LSU respond? I felt it was very important for LSU to get off to a very quick start. You know, they were the visitors. I really wanted them to score one or two runs early on, and I felt like if they could get in the Sam Houston pin, I wasn't really worried about that. And it's Sam Houston's Sunday starter, and nothing against that young man, but I just don't think it's going to be the quality of arms LSU sees Sundays in the SEC. And there's obviously noticeably a drop-off between Friday and Saturday, guys, anyway. So all they did was go out there and pound Sam Houston and win 16-4. to So let's check out this lineup. What was going to happen with some of those things I just mentioned? Dugas, once, in, once again, leading off at second base. Cruz in the two-hole in center. Joe Bear back in the lineup in right field, wide at DH. Morgan checks back in left field, so his wrist was okay. You saw him on the broadcast with an air cast on his arm, uh, excuse me, on his wrist Saturday. Jones back in the lineup hitting behind Morgan. I really like that move. Jones back at first. And then really kind of the bottom three has been steady with regards to Neal at catcher, Thompson at short, and then the Polt manning third base until White gets healthy. And I think when I look at the lineup, I think this is really the best lineup they can put out there until Tommy White can play third. One of the things, if you say, well, what about Trey Morgan? Let's put him back at first. That's fine. You can move Morgan back to first, Jones at uh, DH potentially. Then what are you going to do with White? But let's say White's healthy. So you've got Morgan back at first, Jones at DH. Napolt slides out probably because Dugas is playing so well at second base. And then left field could be Joe Bear. Kling or Pearson. And I think you're going to see Kling start to get some more run. The freshman's got a ton of tools. He's just struggling to play just a little bit. But his defense plays, his arm plays, his athleticism plays. So uh, I like Paxton Kling a lot. Look, in the first, the Tigers get it going early. Cruz single, Joe Bear absolutely mashes a bomb. So for me, I'm pumped right there. 2 nothing on the board. It seems like they may be setting the tone early. But just to come out – Kind of wash that bad taste of the Iowa game out of your mouth. You got to be happy once you see LSU, as an LSU fan, to see Joe Bear crush that ball in right field and LSU's on the board. And oh, by the way, Cruz's birthday, and he absolutely goes nuts on Sunday. How would Chase Shores do? A lot of people on Twitter and, and, and pundits didn't know if Shores was going to throw. After last weekend's outing, he comes out to start. Apparently, it was pre-planned that he was only going to go two innings. So, Jay Johnson, those guys didn't want him to go through the lineup more than once. So, he goes two innings. He threw well. He worked around a little bit of issues in the first inning. Uh, Sam Houston goes single. 
fly out to center, then a pickoff, which was great for him. I'm like, all right, you got a pickoff. Let's get this next guy out. Let's get back in there and hit. But no, they go single, single. So you start to get a little worried. Are they going to be able to get those two runs back? But then a fly out ends the inning for Shores. In the second, LSU's right back on the sticks. Jones hits a double. Neal flies out. JT hits a single. Then a fly out. So with two outs, Dugas single, Cruz two RBI double, and then Joe Bear comes up his second home run in as many innings and hits another blast out to right field. So that man is absolutely feeling it early Sunday versus the Bearcats. Once again, what's Shore's job? Attack the zone. I really wanted him to find a slider for a strike, so he started throwing a couple more of those in the second inning. And then look, bottom line, let's get three up, three down and get these guys back in the dugout because they're just absolutely fight at the bat rack for LSU's hitters. Chores, one, two, three. Very good job by that young man. Then in the third, LSU's back at it again, right? The freshman Jared Bear Jones, I love that nickname, hits an absolute blast. Single, single K, fly out, a wild pitch. And then Cruz, probably the easiest two RBIs he's ever gotten in his life, hits a monster pop-up. The infield, the first baseman misplays it because of the win, and two more runs score for Dylan Cruz on the day. Collins comes in in relief of Shores. He does a good job in the third. LSU um, gets more runs on the board. So heading into the bottom of the fourth, it's already 12-0. I mean, there's pounding Sam Houston. You know Sam Houston's going to fight back at some point, but I, I think there's no way they're going to catch up. It's just a matter of how many runs is LSU going to score on the day because they're hitting through the lineup. Collins runs this in trouble. He goes walk, walk, walk which is a little disappointing. He seems like he's struggling just a little bit early in the year. Garrett Edwards comes in. I think he does a great job. He gives up a walk because he came in on a 2-0 count, then a single. So Sam Houston claws back with a couple runs. But then he gets a, uh, a strikeout and then um, another out to end the inning and really end the threat right there. And Garrett Edwards threw really well on Sunday, in my opinion. Top five, LSU's back at it again. Cruz with a double. Joe Bear with a single. They score more runs. Edwards deals in five and six. Uh, seventh, Cruz hits another double. Um, Trey Morgan scores him with an RBI single. In the seventh, Sam Houston gets one back with a home run. But bottom line, like, that's it. You know, I don't need to go pitch by pitch what happens in seven, eight, nine. LSU takes this sucker 16 to four and a really good way to cap off the weekend. And they actually were champions of the Round Rock Classic, as we mentioned in the intro. Moving on, three big things from this weekend. So what did I learn? One, surprise to nobody, really. The second and third starter spots from the pitching perspective are still yet to be determined. I think it's still in the air. It's evolving. We may learn a little more this weekend, but I do think clarity is coming. It's going to be interesting to see how Thatcher Hurd throws Tuesday versus Texas. And this weekend, LSU has a four-game series versus Butler and Central Connecticut State. So I think you're going to see some shuffling of some starters. Look, Skeens is going to stay on Friday. I do think because it's a four-game series, I think Cooper stays as a starter. I think Shores stays as a starter. I would love to see him throw more than two or three innings. And then I don't, I don't, it'll be interesting to see if they move Floyd into the rotation because they have to play on Monday, or Christian Little gets to nod um, in that role. So I think more clarity is coming. But we still don't know 
They don't have a defined role for everybody. And you still, nobody's really stepped up to take the bull by the horns for the second, third starter spots. The second thing I learned, look, this offense is absolutely powerful. They have guys one through nine that can mash. It's potent, but it's still a work in progress. They still have a ton of swing and miss in the lineup. We don't walk as much as I would like to. And they really have to do a better job against left-handed pitching. And that is yet to play out. But when this lineup clicks, man, boy, are they fun to watch. The power these guys possess, the young guys that can come in and swing it, you know, the returners. There's a lot of excitement to go along with this lineup. And when they click, man, I don't know if there's a better lineup in the country. Then finally, the last thing I learned from this weekend, the freshmen, in my opinion, are here to stay. For those that may have thought that playing Neal, Jones, Kling early in the season was just a way to appease them and to say, hey, we have the number one high school recruiting class. Look at these guys, then pull them back and put them back on the bench. That's definitely not the case, and you were sadly mistaken. Neal and Jones are in the lineup every day until they prove they're not ready to be there. Neal has solidified the catching spot. I think he looks great behind the plate. And Jones can play first base. To me, he was very serviceable. I didn't see anything wrong with his defensive play, and we know he can absolutely swing it and has a ton of pop. I think Kling is going to become more a factor as the year goes on. He may even take a hold of that right field spot some, some weekends to where he may start two of the three games in SEC play. And um, I just think it's going to be fun. Obviously, Tommy White getting injured the first game of the year. I don't know if his shoulder still feels 100% healthy. So he's scuffling a little bit right now. And uh, he's going to come around. He's too good of a hitter. You, know, you don't hit 27 home runs and over 300 as a freshman to say you're a flash in the pan. You know, he's going to be able to swing it. I just think we have to give this time for his uh, shoulder to fully heal. Also, you saw Fry and Gidry. They're going to continue to get at bats. In terms of pitching, you know, Chase Shores, it seems like he's caught the coach's eye and he's going to start for a little while. Eventually, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Shores move into that midweek role. Less pressure. You can throw him four or five innings. Should be fine with his stuff. And then it seems like Griffin Herring has kind of carved out a role for himself as well, the left-handed pitcher from South Lake, Texas. Get right, stay right. How did my predictions do? Uh, it's hit or miss for your boy this weekend. So for get right, I had Napolt. He didn't have a hit in an LSU uniform coming into this weekend. But for the Round Rock Classic, he went three for eight, which is 375 on the weekend. I'll take that as a win. Pearson was in my get right list. That was a miss for me. He was 0 for 2 versus Iowa. And that were the only plate appearances he had all weekend. You know, when you look at he didn't play versus uh, no plate appearance versus Kansas State and Sam Houston. So Pearson uh, struggling to find his footing right now at the plate. Stay right. I had Cooper, obviously a miss. Coming off his Western Michigan performance, I thought he was going to have similar success against the Iowa lineup, but just a rough outing uh, from the get-go. And hopefully he'll rebound this weekend, I think against lesser competition, in my opinion. The pin was another stay right. And I thought the pen did well. Like, I don't have their stats out here for you. I don't want to bore you with a ton of numbers. But in my opinion, Floyd dealt on Friday night in relief of Skeens. Dutton did a good job in relief of Cooper. And who knows what happens if Joe Bear doesn't misplay that fly ball on right? What if he catches that fly ball? Who knows how things turn out, turn out? I thought Helmers did a good job in his relief appearances. He just ran out of gas at the end. I thought Garrett Edwards did a very good job. Um, limiting any type of damage that Collins had gotten himself into. So Edwards did very well for himself, and then Money 
and herring as well. So in my opinion, I thought the pin did a very good job in the Round Rock Classic. The last stay right, defense, only two errors on the weekend, but Joe Bear did misplay that fly ball. So while it wasn't an error, you could chalk that up into the defensive category. Look, Gidry's error didn't hurt you. I believe that happened on Friday. And if I told all LSU fans coming off the back of last year, through seven games, you're only going to have two errors. And none of them are really going to hurt you. And a shaky play in right field, just one. You're fielding 991 on the year through seven games. Would LSU fans take that? Heck yeah, they would. And I'm going to take it too. So look, I got the defense right. I got the pin right. I missed on Cooper and Pearson. I hit in the pole three and two on my get right, stay right. Check that box. That is a winning weekend for your boy. All right, the SEC rundown. How did the other opponents do over the weekend? They had some really cool series going on this weekend. So Bama, who had to cancel their trip out west to Pepperdine, they played high point. Bama swept, Florida swept, South Carolina swept Penn, and then Tennessee swept Dayton. The two marquee matchups, in my opinion, for the SEC conference was Maryland, a regional team from last year at Ole Miss, and then UCLA, a top 15 team flying all the way east to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. So I had Vanderbilt losing that series and Ole Miss losing that series, and I was wrong as Vandy and Ole Miss each take two out of three from their respective opponents. Arkansas took two out of three. They got blasted by Eastern Illinois on Sunday. And then Mississippi State was a very cool weekend matchup versus Arizona State. State got pounded Friday night, like crushed. But then they rebound to beat the Sun Devils Saturday and Sunday. The Aggies had a rough one. I'm not going to cry over that one. Against Portland, of all people, as they dropped the first two, then salvaged the Sunday game. So the Aggies dropped that series. And then the last couple teams, Kentucky, Georgia, Mizzou, all won their series. So the biggest shocker to me was Arkansas getting pounded on Sunday, but they had won the first two games. I don't know if that's understandable, but they got beat pretty bad. A&M, they had a rough weekend versus Portland. And uh, Ole Miss crushed Maryland in a couple games. And then Vandy, really, in three pitchers duels against UCLA. We know both those teams have arms as Vandy prevails in that one. So what does LSU's schedule look like the rest of this week? Tuesday, the Tigers are staying in the Austin area as they take on Texas. So that'll be a very interesting game. Texas kind of flying under the radar. Apparently, they had to rebuild like their whole infield. But you know, Texas is always going to have talent. They're a name, baseball brand. And then LSU kind of has one of those weird series this weekend, a four-game set versus Central Connecticut State and Butler. I believe it's going to be Central Connecticut State's second game outside. Um, I think they've been a regional team in the past. And then Butler, I believe, got it handed to him by Campbell, who's a very good team this weekend. Early on, I haven't done a ton of research, but I think LSU is going to handle all four of these teams. I think guys are going to have big days at the plate, and hopefully some of these pitchers can uh, get themselves right right before conference play starts up in a couple of weeks. In terms of the podcast, I have a crazy travel schedule this week with, with work, so my podcast is um, I'm going to try to have one scheduled to drop Wednesday morning following the Texas game, but if I can't do that, it'll be released Wednesday afternoon, just like this one's getting released Tuesday afternoon. And then a weekend preview podcast, hopefully Thursday afternoon, that'll drop. But if not, Friday morning to get you ready for the four-game set with Central Connecticut State and Butler coming into town. So that'll do it for this week's review of the Round Rock Classic. Thank you all for tuning in. 
As a reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you don't miss any of that content. And follow me on Twitter at 60FT6INLSUPOD. This will be available on Google, Spotify, Apple, all the other major audio platforms. I always link everything, YouTube version, podcast version on my Twitter account. So make sure you hit that notifications bell so you can see when I post it. Also, Hunt Palmer was nice enough to ask me to do a weekly Wednesday spot on his show on 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. So usually about 2 or 2.30. It varies from week to week depending on what he has planned and in my schedule. I come on there for about 10 minutes and talk baseball. Hunt's a great guy, very knowledgeable. So make sure to try to check that out on Wednesdays throughout the season. But until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.